Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Yeah, scared to death. That's some of us in life. We get scared to death. Let's, let's, just, let's just own it a little bit. How many of y'all kind of have some fears out there? You have, are you, how many of you are, are aware of your fears? Let's try that one. How many of you are unaware of your fears? You're, you feel like you're all good. Yeah, yeah, you don't know that you have fears. That's all. And so, uh, okay, real quick, anybody fa- afraid of spiders? By, oh, dear Jesus. What? Why? Why, God? Why did you make those? Dude, I used to have the most demonic uh, uh, spiders in my basement. Um, I, was a, I was a real fearful kid of my basement. How many of y'all had that? We don't have basements in California. If you didn't grow up in California, but we had basements where I came from. And, and man, they're dark and they're creaky and they're eerie. And if there's bad things in your home, they're there. That's where they would be. And uh, But I had something that I promise you, I don't even know that it's real. I, I, it, I I think it was real. I don't think I imagined this as a child, but I promise on my life there was a spider in my basement that was blue, not like his body, like his body was black, but he had like a blue fuzzy top and beady eyes that would stare at you and and then he would jump at you. Has anybody ever seen I, I I'm like is that real? Is that real? Am I imagining things? Am I tripping right? Anyway, that's so public speaking. Anybody do that? Public speaking. Heights, heights. Anything else? You just want to own it right now? You want to shout it out? Mice? Afraid of mice? Snakes? Yeah, snakes. You people who own snakes, y'all are weird. Um, you need prayer at the end of service because that ain't right. Anyway, so so we all have our fears, and we have you know good fears, bad fears, decent. Some, some are. I, I don't know, you know if you know this. There's there some healthy fears. You know, like. If, if you have a, a, a healthy fear of heights, it's, it's because when you get to a ledge, something instinctually says, okay, you don't want to fall down, right? So that's, but then we have like unhealthy fears. We have fear. And what we really want to get at to over the course of this series is this, is when we have unhealthy fears that get into our mind, they get into our emotions, sometimes they even get to us on a subconscious level. But when those fears, those unhealthy fears begin to affect our decision making, we always end up scared to death. I promise you, for, from, from, and I know I look young to some of you that think I'm a kid, but I, for, for years now of working with people and talking to people and counseling with people, I promise you, most of the time, the vast majority of the time, when we look at some of the issues that they have, the problems that they're dealing with, the reason why they're coming to see me, and when you trace it back far enough, it's because at some point in time, they made a decision that was motivated by fear, and it turned out to be a disaster. And that's what we want to overcome, because I don't know if you know this or not, but the most frequently stated phrase in all of the Bible is what? Does anybody know? Fear not. Yeah, one person. So, I think that's my wife. Um, she cheats, dude. She told she, she's a pastor's wife. Looks at my sermon notes before I get up here. So, Fear not. So God loves you. God is for you. God wants to see you prosper in life. And there's no God wants you to have an abundant life. But there's no way you're going to achieve that as long as you are living out of your fears. And that's what we want to overcome over the course of the series. There was this one couple who uh, they were engaged to be married, but they both were afraid of marriage. And the guy was afraid of marriage, and, and because of this, this specific thing that he had, that's what made him afraid. So he went to his dad, he said, Dad, here, you, you know the deal, you know I have the most awful smelling feet of any human being, and I am so afraid that if, if my wife smells these feet, that she, she'll leave me. 
She won't want to be with me anymore. She won't want to cuddle with me. She won't want to sleep in the same bed with me because my feet smell so bad. And so he goes, son, listen, we're just going to have to manage this thing. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to wash your feet just every every moment you get a chance. I want you to always wear socks, like even in bed, even when you're into everything. I always wear socks. And so so if, you, if your husband wears socks, I might just tip tip his, his issue. So so anyway, he, he, he said, just do this and never, ever take your socks off and then and then you'll get away with it. And he goes, OK, I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a try. Well, she had a fear. She had a fear because she had the most awful morning breath in the world. And she said, Mom, she goes to her mom for counsel. Mom, what do I do? I've got the most awful morning breath. And I'm afraid that if he smells my morning breath, it's just the marriage won't last. And so she goes, look, this is what you're going to do, baby. You've got to get up early. You've got to get up before him. You've got to get, if, if, he, if he catches you, you just go start making food and give him food. And while he's eating, you go brush your teeth. You just get up. You mouthwash. You brush your teeth. You don't ever say a word. You don't say good morning. You don't say, hey, sugar boo. You, nothing. You just go straight. And this, and this works. They get married and this works. He just wears socks all the time. And she get, gets out of bed silently, doesn't say a word and goes and brushes her teeth until one morning. And this one morning, he wakes up really, really early, early in a startle because he realizes that his sock has come off in the middle of the night. And so he's frantic and he's flipping sheets trying to find his sock so he can put his sock back on. Well, it stirs up his wife who had not awoken yet to go brush your teeth. And she's like, oh, baby, baby, what are you doing? He goes, oh, no, baby, you somehow ate my sock in the night. <laughs> that was that was worth the price of admission right there. Um, Fears. We, we all have fears. Um, let, let's, let's get serious now. We, we all have fears. For some of us, I'll just start throwing out some of us. Some of us, we, we grew up poor and we have a fear of poverty. And so some of you become, out of your fear, you start changing who you are and, and how you live life and how you prioritize time. And I've seen people become just absolute workaholics because they're deathly afraid of ending up in poverty and revisiting that whole thing again. And it drives them. But the problem with becoming a workaholic is that you might, you might strive in one area, but relationships are always the collateral damage of, of your workaholicness. Um, some of you fear intimacy. Some of you literally, when you were younger, you were hurt. Uh, mom did this. Dad did this. They abandoned me. That boyfriend, she did. That girl did this. And we got these issues. And now because of this, we have a fear of intimacy. We have a fear of opening up, a fear of letting people in, a fear of trusting. And I promise we're missing out on what could be some of our greatest relationships, all because we have those fears. Uh, fear of failure that many times drive us. Fear of being left out. Like some of us literally have that thing. And so for, for some of us, the fear of being left out, what we do is, is we start looking at people and friends and, and, and relatives and we're so afraid of being left out that we end up smothering people, which annoys them to no end to where they don't want to hang out with us anymore. And so um, it, it, it's a, that's a bad cycle to be in. Because I mean, you know, I don't know if you know this, but fear is a form of, of prophecy. Did you know that? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy because fear is a form of focus. And whatever you focus your attention on, you lean in that direction. And when you begin to lean hard in that direction, it actually comes true because you put all of your mind and all of your attention on that thing. So be careful of what it is that you are afraid of. Some of you are afraid of being overweight. Like I know a guy who, who lost a lot of weight, but fear drives him and grips him and pressures him now to never get the weight back on. Or what if I turn out this way again? And so I'm telling you, it drives you into unhealthy eating habits and unhealthy eating disorders, all because of the fear of being overweight. Some of you have the fear of rejection. And so you just you start compromising who you are, what you would normally do, what you would normally be like, given the situation, just because you want to be accepted, you want to fit in, you want to be like some of you have the, the, the fear of being single forever. 
You start lowering all your standards, lowering who you date and who you hang out with, all because of that. Some of you are parents, and some of you have a fear of your kids rejecting you. Some of you are caught, uh, you know, just being the parent that, that won't ever discipline, won't ever correct, won't ever bring consequences, because you're just so afraid that they might reject you. And again, this all comes from this fear of maybe somebody rejected you in your past and I don't ever want my kids to leave me. And so sometimes you get caught in the divorce trap. And so since since they're with their dad and dad's the fun one and I've got to be the disciplinary one and you get caught in this whole mess and you end up not being who God wants you to be or not doing what God wants you to do all because you're driven by a fear of rejection. And so these are the kinds of fears that we're talking about. These unhealthy fears that God does not want you to live with. And the Bible, I, this is really good news for you. The Bible is full of scared people. So you're normal. We just don't want you to stay there. Does that make sense? But the Bible, when you read the Bible, your greatest Bible story has a scared person in it. I would, I would bet money on that. There's some freaked out person in your Bible story that's your favorite Bible story because the Bible's full of scared people. And so today what I want to do is take a look at one story and see what really, really happens when we're motivated by fear. If you've taken notes, the primary consequence of fear is this. Missed opportunity. Like there's something out there that you're not receiving. There's something out there that we would call God's best, God's abundant life, living in his purpose and plan for your life. There's something out there that you're missing because you're being driven by these fears. Now, if you have your Bible, go to 1 Samuel chapter 15, and we're going to take a look at a story. And it's not an overly familiar story, so let me give you some context to this real quick here. Um, in this story, the, Israel has just become like a legitimate nation. Before this, they're mostly a bunch of tribes that are just kind of hanging out in the promised land. But finally, they, they ask God, God, would you please just let us have a king? We want to be like everybody else, and everybody else has a king. And God doesn't want him to have a king. He wants to just kind of be their king and like a theocracy, if you will. And, and But, you know, they whine and cry enough and to where he's finally like, fine, but you're not going to like it. And so God picks what is the best guy in all of Israel, and his name is Saul. Everybody say Saul. So this is King Saul. He's the very first king of Israel. Well, he starts out really, really strong. He start, and he's, the Bible says he's good looking. He is big. He's strong. He's strapping. He's a military guy. He is, he's, he looks the part. He looks presidential. He looks like a king. And he starts out pretty good, but eventually his fears Get the best of him. And he starts making one bad decision after the other. One disobedient, one rebellious decision, one mistake after the other. And finally you can tell, like, God's merciful, but eventually, like, he's like, well, you, you can't keep doing this and keep being the king of my people. And this is a story that really is the straw that breaks the camel's back, if you will. This is the one where God says, all right, that's it. But look at how the story unfolds. Now, this is what's going on. There are these nasty, mean people called the Amalekites. Everybody say Amalekites. Amalekites were living in the land of Canaan, and if, if you don't know world history, and, and, and are, here's what's going on in the land of Canaan. They worship gods like Chemosh and Molech, and they sacrifice their children, and they, they're, they're just barbaric. They're really, really evil the way they treat each other. And so, as a matter of fact, when Israel was coming into the promised land, this is what the Amalekites did. Like, if you go back into the Bible a little bit earlier in the story... Like when they're coming in with all of their people, the Amalekites were at the back end of all the people, this massive amount of people coming into the promised land. And it said that they would just kind of pick off the old people, the children, the weak ones, the sick ones, the lame ones, the stragglers and just kill. So these are really, really wicked people. And so God, God has been patient and God's been merciful, hoping that they would change. And when they don't, God uses Israel to judge these people. And so this is basically, he says, look, the Amalekites, 
It's time you need to take them out because of what they're doing to you and who they are and what they represent. Now, I want you to take out the king and the whole army. I want you to, if they got goats, kill their goats. They got sheep, kill their sheep. Now, you may not be okay with that if you're peed up in here, but that's what God said to do. And so that's what Saul was supposed to do. And that's where we pick up the story. So Saul, the, what he does is, is he, he takes on the army, he wipes out the army, but he does not obey God. He keeps some of the spoils for himself and he doesn't do everything that God commanded him to do. And this is where Samuel, the prophet shows up early in the morning. Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul had gone to Carmel in Monterey refuge. Carmel by the sea. Clint Eastwood is there. There he has set up a monument in his own honor. I just think that's like a, a phrase you need to like think about real quick here. I, I think whenever the story begins with a guy who sets up a monument in his own honor, it's probably not going any place good. Like just this is this is for free. This is in my notes. But like never, ever be the person that like sets up your own monument. Let other people do that. Does that make sense? Don't be the person that sings your own praises. You let other people do that. Don't don't build your own monuments. Um, so. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. So when Samuel finally reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. Had he? No. But Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul answered, he goes, well, the soldiers... I mean, not me, but the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle so that they could sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed everything else. And then Samuel gets like uh, um, like a parent on him. He goes, stop. Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. How many know that's bad? That's like you're, you stop it right now. You stop. You shut up when you talk to me. Let me tell you what. Have you, did you have parents always knew what you were doing no matter what? Do anybody have parents like that? They just knew this was going on right here. Um, so Saul's like, uh, tell me. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you wipe them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and then do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But but I, but I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Now, there's something really, really fascinating here. Again, not, not main emphasis of what I'm getting at today, but think about this, though. What Saul was doing was saying, but look, I did this and look, I did this. And what Samuel's trying to get him to see is this is like, look, 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 you did not obey God. You obeyed God on your own terms. You took part of what God said and said, okay, well, I'll do this and this, but I'm not going to do that because actually I want to do it like this way and I'll just give God a little bit or I'll help God out. What he's, what he's getting on and he's going to make it real, real clear is this is your obedience to God is the utmost of importance. That's, that's what really, really matters. And if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about here. If you're a parent, when you give your kid instructions, you don't want your kid coming back and be like, well, mom, dad, I thought about what you said. But when I could come to my own conclusions, and what I thought would be best and what I really wanted to go do and what I. But look, I got you some flowers. That's what's going on here. OK, 
So, so Samuel replies, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Because to obey is better than sacrifice. Like you just doing what mom and dad said is better than you coming home with flowers. That's, that's really what's going down here. To heed is better than the fat of rams. Because rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance is like evil idolatry. And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has now rejected you as the king of Israel. So Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. And you're about to find out why in this next sentence. Why? Because I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. I want to read that statement again. Because I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. This is the crux of the whole story. What did I tell you the biggest danger is in living your life out of fear, making decisions out of fear, is eventually it leads to some type of missed opportunity. And again, whenever we, whenever we live life out of our fears, I'm telling you, it always leads to some type of consequence. It leads to some type of death. Something bad has happened. So because Saul was this king who just could not obey God and he kept being fearful and he basically, this was the deal. When you're a king and then all of your troops are saying, we want to take the spoils and take the money and take the riches. And then you're like, uh, uh, um, instead of making a stand on what God had told you to do, he's like, well, I, I guess I, y- y'all, y'all should have that. Y'all, you go. And he, he gives in because he's afraid. He's not being king. He's not being leader. He's not obeying God. He's not doing any of those things. He's just afraid. What if the soldiers get mad at me? What if the soldiers don't like me? What if the soldiers turn on me? I don't know what to do. So because I'm afraid, I'll give in to them. And here's, here's kind of the funny thing is that, Again, going back to the idea that living out of fear leads to missed opportunity, here's what, here's what you'll never know. Like Saul could have been the greatest king in all of Israel, right? I don't know if you know this or not, but when Saul is rejected, that's when God goes and picks a shepherd boy named David and says, David, you're the king. And you'll be the greatest king over all of Israel. And actually, I'll send a Messiah or a Savior through your bloodline and he'll sit on a throne for eternity. That could have been Saul. Like, like, think about that. Think about what your life, because here's what I know about you. When you look at the regretful areas of your life and you trace it back far enough, it started usually with a fear. And it has this story that goes like, well, I don't, I don't really know what would have happened. I don't know what would have happened if I would have just obeyed God. I just, you don't know. Some type of unknown missed opportunity is lingering somewhere in the regretful story. All because we were motivated by fear. We'll have no idea what Saul could have been or what he could have achieved. Had he just obeyed God and not been motivated by fear. Now, here's what I'm, let's, let's go to what the Bible says, because I'm going to teach you how you actually overcome fear. Is that, isn't that the most important thing? Okay, the Bible teaches something kind of odd and something kind of counterintuitive when it comes to fear. As a matter of fact, fear can be like the enemy or in, in this state. And we're about to find out is fear can be your ally. Because most of the time when we deal in, in, a, in a self-help world, right? The key is pump yourself up, get in front of the mirror, quote some good quotes, read some successories. Let's go. You can do this. Fight through it. Push through it. You can overcome. Do y'all remember Shia LaBeouf? Just do it. Anyway, um, how many of you have ever seen that? Okay, to so the rest of you, I look like an idiot right now, but go watch the video. Just do it. Um, so the best part is, is the end. Um, but the point is this, is that just psyching yourself up, just pumping yourself up in the mirror is not what God said about overcoming your fear. What he said was actually to fight fear with fear. That there was a fear that if you'd have it, it would supersede all other fears. And I'll show it to you. It's, it's a bunch of different scriptures. I'll just read one. 
Psalms 111 verse 10 says this. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or doing wise things. And all who follow his precepts have good understanding. So it's the fear. So, so God doesn't say, hey, just overcome your fear. Just fight through your fear. Press through your fear. It actually says just fear God more. And if you fear God more, you won't ever surrender to the fear of all the other stuff. That fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of poverty, all that stuff. Because when you fear God, the fear of God is like your trump card. And it just kind of wipes out and beats every other card that you could possibly say. Now, for some of you, if, if you didn't grow up in church, the fear of the Lord is a weird thing. Because even the phrasing of it is kind of odd. In their language, it would mean to have an incredibly high reverence and high honor for God. But I'll put it like this. This is the fear of the Lord as we will work out of it today. It's saying yes to God because of who he is, regardless of what he requires. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's saying yes to God because of who he is. Because we know that God is love. That God is our father. That God is for us. And regardless of what he requires, because sometimes, let's be honest, God requires stuff of us that doesn't make sense to us. You ever had that before? But then that, then that life, like remember when you were a kid and your parents would tell you to do stuff? What did you always say? Why? Why? Because, because your inability to figure out why that was a good thing or why that was important or why that was bad that you not do that or whatever it was. I want you to know many of us as adults, we haven't lost that why. Why do I need to do that? Why should I not do that? Why is that a good thing? Why is that a bad thing? And we keep asking why, but the fear of the Lord puts God at such a high level of reverence and honor that we basically just say yes before he's even done asking the question. That's the fear of the Lord. Now imagine if you live with that, then this is what trumps all the other fears that you face in life. That's how we actually surrender to the ways of God, to the will of God, to the commands of God. It's because we put God in higher honor and higher regard than even our own emotions and our own feelings at the time. I wrote this down if you're taking notes. When fear of something or fear of someone supersedes your fear of the Lord, it results in disobedience and lost opportunity. I mean, it just isn't it the case? Go back and look at any of the bad decisions you've ever made or the mistakes that you made or the, the sinful decisions that we made. I guarantee you at the time what we did was we put what we wanted or we put our own fears and we put it above God's place in our life. And it wasn't that we rejected God. It's just that God came down here and these things came up a bit. And this this is what the fear of the Lord is. It's putting God above all other things in our life. And when you have that then all of a sudden all the other fears begin to take a back seat. All the other fears begin to Surrender and let, let, let me make some sense of this. So for some of you um, Like I said, you have a fear maybe of intimacy And so you end up missing out on a great relationship like a godly relationship All because of there's a fear of intimacy some of you have like a fear of commitment And so because of that fear of commitment it drives you and so you're unwilling to take the steps that you need to You're unwilling to do what you need to in that relationship and, and it's because you just lack that, that, that fear of God over your life to say, you know what, God, no matter what, I'm going to trust you. These are your ways. This is your principles. These are your commands. And I trust you that you're my heavenly father and you know what is best. And so we end up not doing it God's ways. And it, it's, it's, trust me, it's not because we're afraid of sex. We're just afraid of commitment. Like a fear of sex is not our issue. It's just a fear of doing things God's ways. Here's another one. Some of us have that fear of being alone, that fear of being single forever. And I have a, you know, just a situation recently where somebody made a number of different decisions and who they dated and who they chose to be with all because, and they flat out told me, I am deathly afraid of being alone forever. But here's, here's what you need to know though. For those of you who are single out here, 
I'm telling you this. I, I don't know how many married people in here would amen me. I don't want them to. Because if, if I could say how many of y'all think, man, I rushed in, I made the wrong decision, I didn't date God's way, I didn't, I didn't go about God's way, there would be too many amens, you know what I mean? And it would get uncomfortable up in here. Of saying, no, trust me, you don't want to be motivated by that fear because when you're motivated by that fear, it creates a ripple effect of misery into your future, into your life. And there's so many more obstacles and so many more things you have to work out. And so some of you, again, you just get into it quick, too quick. You you jump into it too quick. And and here's the other reality. I have never in all of my years of counseling people and all of my years of knowing people, I have never once had a couple come to me and say, you know what our problem was? We waited too long to get married. That was our issue. We waited too long. That was it. We waited too long. No, it, it, that was never the issue. You've got to remember that marriage is the second most important relationship that you ever enter into. Outside of your relationship with God, the relationship that you have with your spouse. It is so crucial that you don't do that flippantly. You don't do that hastily. And you certainly don't do that out of a fear of being alone. Because I'm telling you, you end up with this missed opportunity of what could have been a great and incredible, an incredible marriage. All because we were motivated by, by fear. Here, here's another one, the fear of failure. So what happens is, is because we fear failure so bad, you, you go ahead and you do the deal anyway. You make the unethical choice anyway. You, you go ahead and cut corners anyway because you're like, but I don't want to get left behind. And I want to go ahead and make the deal and I want the bonus and I want to get the raise and I want to get the promotion. And so you start compromising all because of a fear of failure. And that's what Saul did. Saul made decisions based out of his fear and it left to him. Eventually losing the kingdom. He ends up dying in war. It all goes bad for his life. All because he was making decisions. He ended up literally scared to death. I'm going to talk about one for just a second here. This is one of the ones that I find to be the most intriguing. Is sometimes there's a fear that we have. And it literally is the fear of missing out. Like I was a youth pastor for for almost 10 years. And um, sometimes you would talk to teenagers. And as you were talking to these teenagers, they would, they, you know, you'd be like, hey, man, I want you to I want you to follow Jesus with your life. I want you to come and take that invitation to start following Jesus. And their response would be something like, well, I'll do that when I get older. And the reason why is because I'm a teenager right now and I want to go have fun and I want to go to the party after the game and I want to go do these things. and I want to go do all these things. And really what they're saying is this, is that deep down I have a fear that if I commit my life to Jesus, there's all these really cool and great things that I'll miss out in my teenage years and these cool things I'll miss out in my college years. And so I don't want to do that. I don't want to give up something. I'll just follow Jesus when I get older. What do you really think you're giving up? Because I have, I have too many stories where because they went down that path, it had a ripple effect in their future. And I'm telling you, it's all because we were motivated by the fear of missing out. Think about Adam and Eve. Isn't that what started the whole sin thing in the garden? The enemy gets them to focus on the one thing that they can't have, and they start questioning God to say, well, wait a minute, why can't I have that tree? Why is there one tree that I can't have? I wonder what God is keeping me from. Is God keeping me from a good thing? And what they didn't know was that God was protecting them from a, a bad thing. But if we have a fear of missing out, married people do the same way. Like married people have this fear and, and it's like if I do marriage God's way, this is like, like I'll have to submit to my spouse. And if I have to submit to my spouse, then he'll take advantage of me or she'll take advantage of me. If I have to submit to my spouse, then I won't get guys week and I won't get to go do this trip and I won't get to do this vacation. I really won't get to do what I want to do all because I'm so afraid that if I did it God's way, I'd miss out. And I promise you, you go, go wait. And I've held people's hands as they died and slipped into eternity. Nobody on their deathbed ever sits back and say, you know what? <sighs> Following God, I missed out on so many great things that I could have gone and done. 
I've never once had it. Because why? Think about it in these terms. Like, like, because this is the way we are as human beings. We're so afraid of missing out. But wait until like, you know, think about the guy that gets like the call from the doctor saying you've got a terminal disease and you've only got weeks to live. And then all of a sudden, what's your prayer? Jesus, all that I have and all that I am is yours, God. I'll give you my whole life. Dude, you got three weeks. Why? Because we don't have options then. All of a sudden perspective hits us then and we're like, okay, what am I going to need God? I need this. I need you to help me. I don't want to have these fear. And the fear of death begins to trump a lot of things right there. Like, God, I don't want to die. All these decisions motivated because we think we're somehow going to miss out on something. So here's the question I have for you today. What do you fear more than you fear God? What do you fear more then you fear God. Now, if you're a Christian out there, then, then a lot of you, you've been trained in the art of faith. You have a black belt in faith, and so your mind is trained. I don't have fears. I have no fears. Faith. Let me, let me word it away uh, uh, that, that might help you out here. What is keeping you from saying this? God, here is my whole life. You have everything. God, here is my whole life. You have everything. That's what's going on here. Well, I'm afraid that if I did that, then God, uh, that's your fear. Does that make sense? Well, God, I'm afraid that if I did finances your way, then I would, that's your fear. Because some of you have like a fear of losing control, like a fear of not being in control. And you're like, God, if I gave up control of that, then what if you did this? Like some of you are deathly afraid that if you really gave God your whole life, that you'd end up in a hut in some tribal nation living on dirt floors and feeding poor people. And you're like, God, no, I want air conditioning and Netflix. God, don't send me there. And so you don't surrender. You don't give up because you think God's going to send you to live in a hut in Africa or South America or God forbid you go save the people of Antarctica. Do people live there? Is that even a thing? Apparently there is. There's a bunch of scientists and they drink too much. That's just the news report. My point is, is that whenever, what is it? Because for some of us, we're very, very aware of our fears. So what is the fear that you fear more than you fear God? For some of you, you think you have no fears, but I would say this. Then what is keeping you from surrendering your whole life? Because so many of us out there, we have a partially surrendered heart. Not a fully surrendered heart. We have a partially surrendered heart. And so, hey, what is it that's keeping you from fully surrendering I'll close with a story. I mentioned my basement to you earlier um, growing up. And apparently, I grew up in South Carolina and my mom still lives in the house I was raised in. Apparently, we got some water in our basement. Um, but that's the basement that I, I, I grew up as a kid. And um, I had this thing when I was a kid. How many of you have like weird imaginations as a kid? And if your parents let you watch, don't let your kids watch bad movies when they're little. Okay, because I was, I was somehow slipping in Night, of, Night on Elm Street and you know Freddy Krueger this and Jason that and... Boy, does your imagination go wild when you're a kid and you have those things in your head. And, and I had this basement that was really, really dark and really, really creepy. And the, the idiot that designed this basement, I say that with full confidence. So you come down the steps and you're here, but the light switch is way over there. What kind of moron puts a light switch, you know, 15 steps away from the, the steps? What were you thinking? Because if you could just turn the light on at the bottom and then see everything. And so part of, part of what made the basement so fearful was just the fear of the unknown. 
the fear of your imagination running wild, the fear of like something, if something bad is in my home, this is where he lives. This is where she lives. This is where it abides or abodes. That's where it is. And as a kid, you're just deathly afraid. And I know that little demon spiders down there and I won't be able to see him. And if you live your whole life as a child, like afraid of the basement. And, and so I don't, so what do you do? You run to the light. And hope to God mom didn't leave the laundry basket in the middle of your path. And thankfully that never happened to me. And you would run over and you would turn the light and you would just look around. And you'd take that deep breath and you'd be like, okay, I'm okay. Nothing got me this time. You know, that, that kind of a thing. And, and, but I noticed, I, no, I was very, very aware of this one reality as a kid. Even though I was a dumb kid, I was aware of this reality. Is that when I was down there alone, I was totally afraid and running to get the light on. But there were times when I went down into that basement with my father at the same time. And my father was not afraid of the dark. My father was big and strong and tough and could take on He-Man. And I, I just, he was the best and the biggest. And he was so big in my eyes. And, and when I walked down into that basement with my dad, I had a different walk about me. Almost like John Travolta at the beginning of Saturday Night Fever. Like, you can't tell by the way I used to walk. I'm a woman's man. No time. And you would have a strut and a stroll. Like, what's up? Darkness. I'm here. Because my dad is here. So, I was very aware of this reality. That when all I can see is my fear and all I can sense is my fear and all I can see is the darkness and all that I have is my imagination. Fear grips you. It controls you and it influences you. But when I am more aware of the presence of God than I am my fear, the fear of the Lord trumps the fear of anything else. And that's where you want to live life. And that's where you get free. That's where you stop making unwise decisions. That's where you stop falling into these traps and making these terrible, foolish decisions. God, I'm so aware of your presence. I'm so aware of your power. I'm so aware of your provision. I'm so aware of the reality of you, that the fear of you, the awareness of you, the honor and the reverence of you, it just trumps that other fear. So I don't have to fear poverty. I don't have to fear failure. I don't have to fear rejection. Because even if they reject me, God, I know that I'm embraced by you. And even if I fail, God, I know that you'll pick me up again. I know that... Even if, the, even if I do somehow, it, it turns out bad. God, I know that you are with me. And my awareness of the presence of God begins to trump the presence of any of my fears. And that's where you begin to live in God's abundant life. Let's pray this morning. As we kind of pray and reflect, I want you to go back to that question that I asked just a moment ago. What is it that you fear more than you fear the Lord? Because right now we're going to have a moment where we give that to God. What is it that you fear? Is it the fear of loss, the fear of death, the fear of being alone? Do you fear spiders or heights? We'll deal with that later. I'm not worried about that right now. I'm talking about those deep fears that control how you live, how you treat other people, how you make decisions. Whether or not you truly surrender to the ways and the will of God. I'm talking about those fears. What is it that you fear? What is the thing that keeps you from giving God everything? What is it that keeps you from saying, God, all that I have and all that I am is yours. Right here, right now. Not on my deathbed. Not when I'm 85. Right now. What is the thing that keeps you from surrendering everything to God? Because that's the thing you fear. Some of you have like fear of authority. Like. So afraid like that cop or that boss or that parent or my husband this or, you know, we've got we've got these 
I'm telling you, the fear of God, the presence of God, the awareness of God, it trumps all other fears. If you'll just give that to him, if you'll just surrender that to him. And so right now, I want you to take 30 seconds. I want you to have a moment of prayer on your own between you and your heavenly father. And I want you to give him that fear. I want you to say, God, I'm fully aware today, God, that this is my fear. And God, I don't want to be motivated by that anymore. God, help me to be more aware of you. Help me to place you above all other fears. Lord Jesus, we thank you today, God, that no matter where we're at in life or what's been going on around us, that God, you are with us and help us, Lord God, to become more aware of your presence, God. Father, we pray that we would walk out of here, God, and the next time fear rises up in our mind or rises up in our heart, God, that we would stop. And that for that moment we wouldn't give in, but God, we would just turn our eyes upon you, put our focus upon you and become more aware of your presence God, that we would place you above whatever it is that's making us afraid, God. Help us to walk out of this place and live victoriously. Help us to live free. Help us to live full of life and love and faith, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv. 